is Bean to Barstool, a podcast that looks at the intersections of craft beer and craft chocolate. My name is David Nelson. I'm a professional beer writer and an advanced Cicerone and the creator and host of this show. The music for this episode is by my dear friend, indie folk musician Anna P.S. You can find out more about Anna's music in the show notes or at her website, annapsmusic.com. You can find links and information about our guests in the show notes as well. I hope you enjoy this episode of Bean to Barstool. I've said many times here on Bean to Barstool and elsewhere that our senses are made of magic, a type of magic driven by really cool science, and that engaging our senses through the experience of tasting beer and chocolate can transport us to other places and times, summon memories, evoke emotions, and provoke imagination. Today's guest is a chocolate educator who feels very much the same and uses chocolate as a way to travel the world, recalling places she's been and imagining ones she hasn't, and helping others to do the same. All that's required is an open and curious mind and a piece of chocolate. Join us for a conversation about traveling through our senses, tasting chocolate with a sense of wonder, and how the natural world and the people around us can help us grow in our ability to do both. I became aware of Sana Forsland through her Instagram account, Cacao Sana, which I've linked to in the show notes. I found myself nodding along to her thoughtful posts about sensory appreciation, travel through flavor, and the way the tasting experience with chocolate or any other indulgence engages so much more than just our physical senses. It involves memory, language, culture, identity, emotion. I reached out to Sana recently to hear more about what the tasting experience means to her and to learn from this passionate chocolate educator. While our conversation is about chocolate, everything we talk about here could easily be applied to beer or wine, coffee, or another food or drink. Listen in as Sana shares why the tasting process can be so powerful. So Sana, why don't you tell me a little bit about what you do in the chocolate world? Well, I used to introduce myself as a chocolate educator for a long time, and now I've added chocolate sommelier to the description because it's a word that people know from the wine industry. So it gives people a bit of an idea what I do. And I organize everything from tasting events to introduce people to the world of craft chocolate and bean to bar to freelance writing to educate in both spoken and written sense. I also work really hard on my social media to introduce the world of chocolate again. So I do Instagram lives and I try to showcase the beauty of chocolate that is out there. So you introduce a lot of people to the idea of craft chocolate. What was your introduction to this years ago? Do you remember your first experience with good chocolate? I've been a chocolate fan my whole life. So for me, it just developed slowly but surely because the craft chocolate scene is very young in Sweden. So I started with chocolate that I I don't necessarily eat anymore. But I remember at the chocolate festival, maybe 10 years ago, where they actually had some American bean-to-bar makers. It opened up a whole different story of what chocolate really is instead of the bigger brands showcasing that, oh, there's Ecuador, there's Madagascar, which was a really interesting thing for me at the age of 15. 
But then when I could actually talk to someone who made chocolate and who had met the cocoa farmers, then I was mind blown. And I realized that I'm, I'm not going to get out of the chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> the, the passion for chocolate, it just kept on growing. So how long did it take after that before you started doing this for a living, what you do now? That took some time because uh, I'm, I'm, I'm an educator. So I'm also a teacher and I teach languages. Mm-hmm. Um, so I didn't want to jump into a full-on chocolate, making a living off of like making bonbons, which is where like, that's what I thought my business would be when I started it. Because I wanted to be able to make sure that I would never get too stressed about making a living through chocolate. So I wanted to keep a day job so that I could dive in, but with security. Mm-hmm. Maybe three years ago, that's when it really fell into place that I'm a chocolate educator. So one of the things that you talk about on your Instagram account, which is also something that I like to talk about on this podcast, is the way that our emotions and memories interact with our sense of smell and our sense of taste and our perception of flavor. Do you remember when you first became aware of that for yourself, of having that kind of emotional or memory interaction with chocolate or another food or drink? I think it's been with me always that different flavors make me think about other experiences. I know after my first visit to India, and then I came back walking like the streets of my hometown, and all of a sudden I would get a whiff of something in the air, and it would make me travel back to that back street in India, and then that memory. And also with childhood dishes, when you taste something and it reminds me of grandma's cooking. So I've always had that with me. And when it's specifically with chocolate, I think it just became a natural path to see this chocolate makes me think about this and to use that as a tool to inspire other people to enjoy what they taste and eat. A lot of times that can take us by surprise. You smell something and you know, you're know you not expecting to have a particular memory or image in mind. Is there a way that we can do that intentionally? When you're tasting chocolate, are there ways that you can kind of consciously try to lean on memory or emotion or imagination during the tasting process? I try to always, like if, especially when I really want to travel with chocolate, I try to clear my mind sort of as in meditation to to just sit for a moment to find that spot where I'm like hey I'm comfortable here I'm sitting in a nice way I don't have other flavors lingering on my tongue from before and then to really dive into a deep tasting where you really smell the chocolate you get the aromas and then slowly tasting the chocolate and being very intuitive to listening in instead of expecting me to find those oh it's Madagascar so I'm gonna find these specific notes or it's I'm sure it's gonna be full of red berry notes like no I'm just gonna dive in and see where it takes me so I'm trying to be very in a sense kind to myself not having an expectation and the chocolate bar I eat I want to know who made it 
and where. So where is the chocolate maker located, as well as knowing where the cocoa beans come from. And if I have some prior knowledge to those about those places, or maybe I'll look something up. So when I sit down and taste this chocolate, sometimes I even close my eyes and I imagine that I am at that specific farm, for example, in Ecuador, or that maybe I am finally in Seattle uh, and like all these places that I haven't been to or the places that I have been to and want to return to. And I can keep those in my mind. So then I'm already very open to traveling, to um, having those experiences that you do when you physically travel. That's interesting. I know some tasters, both in chocolate and in other food and drink fields, like to know as little as they can when they're tasting a sample because they don't want to be colored. It sounds like you really want to lean into that experience and use that to inform what your mind is doing while you're tasting. Yeah, I do like that. But it depends on the why I'm tasting this chocolate. Uh, if I'm tasting it, if, if a maker asks me, okay, what flavor notes do you get in this bar? then maybe the less I know, the less I'm going to be influenced. And then I will be able to, okay, this is what my palate tells me. But since I I like to have the full experience for myself, and I also like to give the full experience when I have an event or a tasting or just sharing with friends, then it's really nice to know the story because that's what I do in a tasting. I share the story. I help people create and understand a different world and then they can really dive into the sensory experience because I believe that those two are connected. Let's talk about that a little bit of how you convey that to other people. When you're doing a tasting of any kind of food or drink, it can be easy to make that very technical and talk about ingredients and talk about process and all of that. While that's important, it sounds like you really want to give your attendees the same experience you're having of engaging all those different parts of yourself. How do you do that in person when you're doing an event? How do you help your attendees have that experience? I always try to listen into the group because people are, as we know, so, so different and people might need different tools to be able to understand. Some people are more technical and they come to an event because they, I want to learn. Whereas other people are already very open-minded. So when I start talking about what the cacao tree look like, you can see that some people, they are very visual. So they will already imagine this by themselves. So I first listen to the group and try to figure out who they are. And then I have the, um, the different chocolate bars that we are going to taste. They are the journey. So I always have an idea of where we're starting both maker-wise and cocoa bean-wise. So where are we in the world and how are we going to travel around the world or around Central America or whatever the setup is for the tasting? And then I go through one bar at a time and I always explain the regions and I can sometimes add in the storytelling of traveling between the places depending on how much the listeners are enjoying the journey Mm. so every tasting that I have is it's dependent on on the attendees I never have a plan that goes a to b and I need to say (laughs) all of these things or I need to give them 
this information or I need to make sure that they have now traveled with me to Mexico. It depends on them and the questions they ask and how they interact with me and each other. We'll be right back. Hey, everyone. Getting a Cicerone certification is an amazing way to raise your beer knowledge and can be a game changer for your beer career. But how are you supposed to find the time to prep and how are you supposed to know exactly what to study? Don't sweat because the Beer Scholar has you covered. Beer Scholar is a sponsor of Bean to Barstool, but I can tell you from personal experience years before I was doing this podcast how helpful the Beer Scholar study guides are. They offer efficient online courses for levels one and two that cover everything you need to know, tips and tricks for how to pass the exams, and include live weekly Zooms to taste and discuss classic beer styles together. They even have a new coaching program for the level three advanced Cicerone exam. I used the Beer Scholar Study Guide to pass my level two exam many years ago. I wish the level three had been around when I took that exam. I had to do it on my own. Wish their study guides had been available for that at the time. The vast majority of certified Cicerones in the world today have used Beer Scholar to help achieve the goal of passing that exam. If you are ready to take your beer career to the next level, visit thebeerscholar.com and check out their online courses. Do you find that there's an ideal size for getting that kind of interaction and getting a group to do that together? Usually around 10 to 12 people, but it also depends on how well they know each other. Uh, And Mm. if it's a random group, a group of strangers, then I'd say about 10 people, then you can make eye contact with everyone and you can make sure that they know that I see them. And then it's Mm. also easier for them to raise their hand or even... I like it when people can just talk and they doesn't have to be like waiting for your turn. Sure. I lead craft beer tastings professionally. And when I first started doing that uh, years ago, I very much wanted to teach. I wanted to give information. I wanted to improve their knowledge. And I found in recent years that my my stance has changed a little bit of wanting to see what I can learn from my attendees as well. Can you talk a little bit about the experience for you when you're doing chocolate education of what you get from that leading the group? I definitely agree when it comes to learning from the group. Because if I go in with the mindset that I know this chocolate, I know these bars, I know the tasting notes, then it's a one-way communication. Whereas if I'm as curious to hear about what flavor notes or memories they get from tasting the chocolate, they will feel that. I think they will feel that positive curiosity from my side as well. And then it's easier for them to share. They will be more, oh, I I think maybe there's a little bit of like acidity. Is it a little bit of lemon? If I I open up to that conversation. Mm -hmm. So I never start by telling people what they are gonna taste. I try to be really clear with the fact that whatever they taste, that's correct, because it comes about, we all have our own flavor memories, and we have different training when it comes to expressing our thoughts about finding the words. So whatever they taste is correct. I'm not going to tell anyone that they are wrong. 
And as soon as people get that, they become more relaxed and then the conversation really takes off. For sure. You've mentioned travel a few times. We talked about traveling through the flavor experience, especially in the last year and a half when we really haven't been able to move around the world much. Can you talk about how being able to do that through chocolate and through flavor has been important? It's been so important to me. I, I've dreamt about traveling since before I, I could travel by myself. It's been my like go-to thing, not being able to fall asleep as a kid, like closing my eyes and imagining I was traveling all over the world. And with chocolate, it's so easy because I just take a random bar from my stash of chocolate and all of a sudden I get all of these places I like, as we've already mentioned, there's, where's the maker from? Where are they based? Where does the cacao come from? And all of a sudden I'm in three places at once. I'm still here in Stockholm. I'm in Mexico. Uh, I'm in Tanzania. I'm in the US. I'm in Germany. I'm in the Philippines. And it gives me a sense of freedom both now when it's been difficult to travel, but also from a sustainability perspective, I'm not going to travel as much as I want to, because I would like to travel everywhere. And now I travel when I have a, a reason to, if there's something that I can fulfill or write about or visit someone, but where I hope everyone is more cautious and we don't travel as much. But when it comes to flavor experiences, it's so easy. So as long as we have our minds and memories and a chocolate, then I can go anywhere I want. <laughs> I love that. So you mentioned sometimes looking up information about the bar and that can kind of inform some of that travel that you do in your mind. Do you ever find yourself surprised by where your mind goes? If it, if it goes against maybe what you were expecting and you get images or you know places that you that you weren't counting on during that yeah it's i mean as with everything the mind wanders spontaneously it's um especially when you don't try to control it to see where where you end up um i think maybe it's more the more surprising is when i'm when i think i'm super relaxed and then i try to dive in and then i'm distracted by thoughts as in a meditation all of a sudden you start thinking about something else uh, and that's always like frustrating and annoying and in that sense a bit surprising but sometimes a bar that I know I know this one is like tropical fruity and I really enjoy this bar and in that sense I have an idea of where I'm gonna go and what I'm gonna experience and then depending on my mood of that day or the conversations I've had prior to, to the tasting, I can start to think about other things. I don't have a specific example, but it's, uh, it's not linear. Have you had the opportunity in real life to travel to any of these cacao origins directly? My main cacao destination is Mexico. So I've been there both before I, I knew there was like, well, I knew there was chocolate in Mexico, but before I fully apprehended that, and then I've been back several times. And then I've also been lucky enough to see cacao trees in Chiapas in the South. And it's absolutely amazing. And I can't wait to keep exploring all of these 
cacao plantations and forests with wild cacao. How does that affect being able to taste those chocolates now? Is that a, just a whole different experience? Yeah, definitely. I mean, before I had seen a cacao tree in real life, before I had talked to people growing cacao, it's it's a whole different thing. Because you, when we've just read something or we've talked to people, but in our in our everyday environment, it's really hard to really understand what it's all about. So the closer you get to, and it applies to any ingredient, any food, the closer we get to the origin, the more we know, we will appreciate it. So we've talked about all these different ways that flavor interacts with our minds, our memories, our emotions, our imaginations. That can certainly be true with any food or drink. It's something I encourage people to do with craft beer as well as chocolate, but it does seem like chocolate provokes this in some particular way, or maybe it's just chocolate tasters seem more readily willing to do that. Do you have any thoughts on why that might be? Why is this something that we see come up so much more among chocolate tasters than maybe some others? I think it's because people really love chocolate. Anytime I say that I work with chocolate or I'm a chocolate educator, people are curious, interested, and they want to know more because everyone loves chocolate. And the ones who don't, they have to tell you they don't like chocolate and then they start the conversation anyways. And since we all have these childhood memories when it comes to chocolate, we're so connected to memories when we eat chocolate. And when people start to see how different chocolate tastes, I think that opens up, um, a com- it's easy to open up a conversation when people see the difference between this bar and that bar, they all taste differently. But even when people talk about their childhood chocolate memories, people are in a sense traveling in their mind, in their memories, I think that's a big difference to other foods where you talk about flavor because wine, coffee, beer, people discover those later in life. Whereas for most people, chocolate is a childhood connection. So it's something that we have had with us for such a long time. That makes sense. One thing that you talked about recently on your Instagram account that I thought was interesting was how people often refer to chocolate as a comforting flavor, something that they want maybe when they've had a bad day and chocolate is going to cheer them up. And you don't really look at chocolate that way. It's something you want to save for your good days. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I discovered that on stressful days, because when you have a really stressful day and you just want to unwind but you are in a bad mood or you're really sad and then those things that we go to at that time what I taste and eat then even if they might make me feel happier they will have there will be something negative associated with them as well so I I realized that I don't want chocolate when I'm sad because I don't want to associate chocolate with sadness or anger or frustration, these really strong negative feelings. I want chocolate to be a way to travel, a way for finding comfort in myself and not when I need comfort, like that difference. If I want to unwind, then I'll sit down and I'll have a piece of chocolate because I'm already like just toning down and then bringing out that joy. 
Whereas if I'm eating chocolate when I'm really sad, I'm not going to stop being sad. I'm still going to be sad, but I'm just going to eat something. And that's a, a comfort that is, it's not fulfilling. I wanted to find, I, I wanted to define that for myself and then have other things that I can eat when I'm sad. Do you find that your mood or your emotional state affects how you taste things? Does the, Do you find different tasting notes or different things coming to mind based on how you're feeling? Definitely. The more, if I'm more stressed or if I have a lot of things on my mind, if I'm on the go and taste chocolate, I can't get all of those flavor profile. It, the, the flavor profile doesn't come out as clearly. I can still really enjoy it because it's it's always good, but then it becomes less of a it becomes less of a mindful experience. It's more it's just pleasurable, just joyful. Mm -hmm. So if I really want to dive in into the flavors and to the memories, then I have to be more relaxed to begin with. So that's why I usually do chocolate tastings for myself in the mornings. Nature is very important to you and being out in nature. Can you talk about that a little bit and how that informs how you interact with chocolate when you're tasting? Nature is a key ingredient in my life. Um, I'm actually, when I look up here, I look out the window, which has a huge tree outside. So I always try to associate myself with nature. It's been like that since childhood. Nature has to be nature has to be there both my parents are biologists so we've always spent time in nature instead of them saying that's a bird they've given me the name of the bird the name of the flower so I've always been very aware of the biodiversity even if I necessarily didn't even if I didn't necessarily know the word biodiversity growing up hmm. my parents made sure that I knew how many different species of butterfly, plants, trees was all around us. And when it comes to chocolate, then that becomes, it, it connects with the different varieties of cacao, wanting to understand the biology behind that bar. And I've been like that with other foods as well. I want to know what I eat. Being in nature since childhood and having the need to be in nature and by the water and in the forest as an adult, it connects with wanting to know where things come from, as well as it gives me peace and clarity. I really feel that we need to be connected to nature in order to enjoy life and to find peacefulness and so on in our everyday life. So like two things I couldn't give up are chocolate and being outside and in nature because both of those things really give me a lot of joy start interesting conversation and they they make me smile and to be happy and being in nature uh, can help us become better tasters as well uh, i know you've mentioned recently the idea of literally stopping to smell the flowers can you talk a little bit about how those experiences out in the wild can help us build our vocabulary for tasting Definitely. I think since tasting and talking about tasting and to be able to explain what we eat and what we enjoy, we need the words. 
And in order to find those words, we need to have memories associated with a specific flavor or a specific taste, like the connection between those two. So unless I stop to smell the roses, like as you say, but to, to stop and smell the flowers, to um, have a, a look at the different trees and the awareness to be able to pinpoint the differences unless I do that I'm not going to be able to discover those flavor notes in anything that I taste so that's why I I try to now I do it consciously because I know that it makes a difference if I know what uh, the fresh pine uh, needles smell like in the spring and if I consciously save that as a memory is connected with that specific plant compared to when I was a kid where I just ran around in the woods and then you smelled everything because you were there and I ate all of the herbs and like things that you could eat in the wild because my mom told me like oh taste this little leaf it tastes really acidic and then I tasted that because it was fun now I do it with a conscious mind trying, trying to save those memories. That project of trying to attach words to what we're smelling and tasting, that's really what it is to become a good taster. People act like it's a natural ability or like it's some technical process that you can perfect. But you and I have both talked about the fact that it's really just being mindful and being able to attach words and learn vocabulary for what we're smelling and tasting. Definitely. We need to, to find those details and memories. I, I remember it clearly from, like, from books and lectures as well, where people really have talked about this. You can't describe a, a flavor note that you've never tasted. If I learn that, okay, in this chocolate or this wine, there are these flavor notes, maybe I can... I, I can start to analyze which one would fall into what category. But unless I have been in a barn, I'm not going to know what hay and so forth mm. tastes like. And sometimes it becomes really clear when you do a tasting with people from different backgrounds. So I might really think of like a deep dark bread with like a deep rye bread and that kind of like you can get some of those caramel notes in that heavy rye bread but if someone has never tasted a bread like that they they can't understand what i mean but they will mm -hmm. have a different word to explain that flavor based on their memories I think that idea is really powerful because it can allow chocolate or some other food or drink to serve as a bridge between people of different backgrounds to learn each other's memories, learn each other's cultural stories and that sort of thing. Is there a way that we can consciously do that during a group tasting to use that as a way for people of different backgrounds to learn about each other? I haven't thought about it in that way specifically, but I just say yes, because if we add that, like I said, part of the tasting, when we really open up to let people share their thoughts, what do you taste? What do you think about when you taste this bar? And if someone then mentions a fruit that the other ones might not know, or they talk about this traditional cake that their grandma used to make, if you 
instead of just moving on say oh that's interesting and then what do you taste it's like okay so that cake what was in that cake mm-hmm. or oh, okay, this fruit i i've never tasted that fruit can you tell me more about it in that sense we would add that element of further educating me as the the one holding to space but also for that and these to have a possibility to learn about something that they are not familiar with yeah We'll be right back. Hey, everyone. Final Gravity Issue 4 is now available in the Bean to Barstool shop. This fourth issue of our zine telling intimate, human-centered stories from the world of beer is full of great articles, including Kate Power of Lady Justice Brewing talking about why she might be done with beer festivals, Ukrainian beer writer Lana Svitinkova writing about the Zeugel brewing tradition in Germany, UK writer Matthew Curtis talking about the blend of old and new in the Cascale tradition in Manchester, and many more. We believe passionately in this project, and if you believe the story of beer is ultimately a story about people and relationships, we think you'll love Final Gravity as well. You can order the new issue from our shop on beandabarstool.com, or you can also subscribe, including subscribing for your brewery tap room or break room, or you can subscribe and sign up to support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash zines. Now, back to the episode. Sure. So you speak multiple languages, you teach languages. Do you find when you are tasting chocolate that words in different languages will be more appropriate at different times? Or do you kind of stick to one when you're doing that for yourself? No, I, I go between between all of the languages, um, definitely. So my tasting notes uh, or my like chocolate jur- journal is in Swedish, English, Spanish, sometimes German, um, because the words that pop into my mind are dependent on where I tasted that flavor. So specific things that, I mean, specific Swedish flavors, I can't translate those. If it sure. reminds me of a childhood cake or specific things that I know of in Swedish, then that mind will pop up in my mind. So certain things like lingonberries, they then I might the, the word might pop up in Swedish, but then I might still write it down in English. Mm-hmm. But certain things I'll 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 switch between the languages. So sometimes my notes are hard for other people to understand. <laughs> Can you give me an example? What would a, a flavor be that you're like, nope, it's this word in this language, nothing else quite gets it? There's this spread uh, that I've loved since I was a little kid. Uh, that's also part of like, we were talking about comfort food. Mm-hmm. This is part of that zone for me. So there's this spread that I've always had on bread together with butter, but it has a very unique flavor the furthest I can come to explain that now as an adult is like a Swedish dulce de leche, but mm. it's not that sweet. Um, but there's some vanilla notes in there. There's a lot of caramelized. There's a lot of sweet, but you also get like a deep dairy note. So it's there's no, no translation to this in any other language. Also, like, ch- like childhood sweets. Like in Sweden, we make... 
a very like very simple like oatmeal cocoa powder butter and and you make little balls out of these and roll them in coconut or in in sugar mm-hmm. so it's not a very it's not a strange flavor it's something that would apply to any language in the sense of the ingredients but if i have a distinct memory of eating those specific treats i write it down in swedish even if i'm in the middle of writing it usually my tasting notes are in english but then specific words or if i have something that reminds me of a mexican dessert then i'll write that in in spanish for sure i love that so i guess wrapping up here i'd like to hear you just talk about how you taste chocolate we've talked about the mental space for that and the emotional space you sit down to taste a chocolate walk me through those moments of what you're going to do how you appreciate uh, that chocolate with your different senses the typical way for me to taste chocolate would be in the morning i'd uh, start my more i start my mornings with yoga and meditation and then after that i do a chocolate tasting or a chocolate travel So I'm on my yoga mat and I've got a pen and a notebook by my side. And then I have the chocolate bar that I've chosen. I always open them up carefully and I look at the details, even when there's bars that I already know. Um, I don't always read the, the tasting notes that the maker has written down, but I want to know where it's made, the farm, the origin, Uh, so that I have as much information about the beans as well as the makers as possible. And then I open it up and I look at all the beautiful details. I also check the, like the, in, if there's any dust or if it's bloomed or anything. And that might, it's usually because I'm, if it's been in a bad condition at my place or something now, especially during the summer, uh, sometimes they, I want to know that before I taste it because it, will exchange the experience. So when I've looked at the bar and appreciated it, then I always break off a piece. I sit down and I really smell it. There's this recommendation to sometimes start with a piece of chocolate further away from you and move it closer because then you start to get the first whiff and then you have it close to your nose and you can really dive into the aroma. And that's when I really start to Not in the sense I have to imagine that I'm somewhere else, but closing my eyes. And if I want to be somewhere else, then I picture myself sitting under a cocoa tree in Mexico or that I'm walking in the street and I'm passing by a pastry shop or something like that. That's when I try to get some images in my mind. And then I let the chocolate melt on my tongue. I always let them melt 100%. And uh, that's also ever since I was a kid, I've had, I've let chocolate melt in my mouth to be able to appreciate all the flavors, even the sh- chocolate from our childhoods that didn't at all have as many flavor notes as the ones that I enjoy now. And then I sit there and then I let the chocolate linger and try to see the, what finishing notes I get. And then I usually sit for a while and just see where my mind has taken me. So in that sense, it can be equivalent to having a chocolate meditation um, or just a way to clear my mind and start my day. Do you take notes as you do that or do you wait till you're done and write down notes? It depends. 
on the bar. Um, sometimes I take notes as I, I go, like after smelling the chocolate, I write down some, some notes, but sometimes I just sit. And then when I'm done with the first exploration of the bar, I have a second piece and then I write down the notes. Can you give me a recent example? What was a bar that you've tasted maybe in the last few days or the last week that you had a, a particularly good moment with? I had the um, Rika Rika chocolate bar from Obolo Chocolate with the herbs from the Atacama Desert. Mm. So I was sitting in the, in the countryside under a blue sky, uh, but early in the morning, so it wasn't too hot. And then I was really taking in the aromas and I was transported in between the Atacama Desert where I know this grows and I can imagine what it's like based on pictures that I've seen. But I was also in my childhood countryside home with the herbs that grow there by the sea because that's the flavor notes that was really strong to me. Those were the herbs that I connected the bar with. And, and after I had that, experience that I felt the need to talk to the woman who collects all these herbs. Uh, so I wrote a message to her afterwards talking about this as well, because I felt really connected with Sweden and the Atacama Desert, uh, which was really, really lovely. Flavor has a profound ability to help us to see distant places we've never been or can only remember to connect to other people of different backgrounds, and to learn something about ourselves. Grab one of your favorite bars, close your eyes, and travel the world through chocolate. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Beamed Barstool. Barstool.